Hey, my name's Adam, and I am the West Shore Campus Pastor here at Coastline Church on beautiful Vancouver Island. Welcome to our podcast. All the content that you will find here is meant to point you to Jesus and encourage you in your journey wherever it is that you find yourself. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, West Shore. How's it going, everyone? Man, it's so good to be back here. West Shore is truly, what? The best shore. Come on, West Shore is the best shore. Hey, my name is Chris Kong. So glad to be with you here. And uh, can I just say, I'm so thankful for you, Shandy and Pastor Adam. Thank you for the love you give to this West Shore community. Can we give a hand for them too? We're so thankful for their leadership. And yeah, and I'm also just thankful for our lead pastors, Andy and Lisa, who have me here today. And just so thankful for our house Coastline Church, we are a, a pretty big church, uh, but we have many rooms. We're not, this isn't a separate church than downtown. Uh, it's a different room in our house. So we're glad to be here. Man, I joined the team almost five years ago, if you can believe it. I came as a church planning apprentice about to launch our own campus. And, uh, you know, God had other plans. But talk to me about that after the service. That's a whole other story. We're not going to get there today. I want to go into our book, uh, into the book of Acts. We've been in our Acts series. If you have your Bible, you want to bring it out. We'll be in Acts chapter 21. And we've been following the missionary journeys of Paul up to this point. The same man who had a miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus. You might have remembered that from Acts chapter 9 many weeks ago. And now we're coming to the end of the book of Acts in these few chapters, 21. I'm going to go 21 to 24 today. Are you ready? Don't worry, I won't read the whole thing. It's a lot, but um, we're going to outline Paul's return to Jerusalem. There's a lot to cover in these chapters. We won't be able to get it all, but I want to camp on a couple of these passages from these chapters. And if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Compelled to Tell the Story. Compelled to Tell the Story. You know, I was just impressed during worship today that I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking today. God is speaking today. I believe that we have something to learn here from these passages in Acts today. There's something for you here today. Would you listen? Would you hear to what the Spirit is speaking? Maybe not all my words, but what, what is that still small voice in your heart speaking to you today? You know, through these chapters in Acts, I want to share two lessons that are really inspired by the Apostle Paul's life. Can we just jump right in? Is that okay? Can I have permission to just get right into these chapters and I want to just share the first lesson we learned from Paul, that followers of Christ are spirit-led. Followers of Christ are truly spirit-led. Beginning in chapter 21, we find Paul and his crew of merry men, and probably some ladies too, traveling from modern-day Turkey to the coast of Lebanon, and then down to the coast from port to port into Caesarea, which is in Israel, and then finally into Jerusalem. It seems that Paul caught a ride on a cargo ship, and we find it in chapter 21, verse 1. I'll read it out with you. After we'd torn ourselves away from them, and he's talking about the Ephesian elders here in the last chapter, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes, from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, this is through the Mediterranean, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there 
and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. Can we stop here for a quick second? As I said, Paul is traveling here by boat, making his way to Jerusalem. Verse 4, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So we know that Paul is a missionary. He's a church planter. We know that he's a follower of Jesus Christ. He's an amazing example of what it means to be a Spirit-led Christian. And yet, in verse 4, we see that through the Spirit, well-meaning disciples, the ones that were in Tyre, urged Paul. They said, hey, don't go to Jerusalem. So we kind of have to ask the question, if Paul is a man who is led by the Spirit, what's happening here? Why would the disciples in Tyre try to convince Paul not to go to Jerusalem? And how did they do this through the Spirit? You might be thinking like me, you know, what do you do when you hear the Spirit telling you something and then someone else says something different, maybe a well-meaning friend or Christian? Does it mean that one person is right and the other one is wrong? Well, that may be true in some cases. I think in this case, what happened was the Spirit of God gave these disciples entire a sense that Paul was headed for hardship in Jerusalem. But they added their own concern and love for Paul on top of the message that the Spirit gave to them. Do you know that well-meaning, Spirit-filled Christians can actually get it wrong sometimes? I know, it's true. I've been known to be wrong. Just ask my wife, you know. <laughs> so what's going on here? I, I want us to go back one chapter to Acts 20 into the, to the territory where I'm not really supposed to go because that's from, you know, next week's topic or whatever. But we'll get a better glimpse of the dynamic that Paul is into here in chapter 20. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. And these are people that we read at the start of my message, they, the ones he tore himself away from, okay? If you read chapter 20 in full, you'll get a sense that Paul doesn't actually think he's ever coming back to see these people again. In what he thinks may be his final speech to them, he says this in verse 22 in chapter 20. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. We're talking about a man here sold out for the cause of Christ. I find Paul's language here so interesting. He was compelled by the Spirit. The word compelled in the Greek language here gives us the, the idea or the sense of being really bound, almost shackled, obliged, forced even. He was forced by the Spirit here. He knew that his next step was to head to Jerusalem. He was compelled, bound by his calling. And in every town, every place that he went from stop to stop, he was getting these warnings from the Spirit about prison and hardships coming. You know, if Paul is a life 
if Paul's life is an example of someone being led by the Spirit, I want to ask you this question or two questions. When was the last time you were compelled by the Spirit? How often do you receive direction from the Holy Spirit in your day-to-day, everyday life? Because what we see here in Acts 20 is that Paul lives his whole life being led by the Spirit. Remember what he said in Acts, or in verse 24? However, I consider my life worth what? Nothing. Worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. You know, I think in our Western context, I don't know if we have a great understanding of what it means to surrender our whole lives to Jesus Christ. Our culture teaches us that we have everything we need right here within us. Our culture says that the things that we have and the things that we do are the things that give us worth. Our culture pushes us to pursue relationships and promotions and fame and even security because we're worth it, because we need it, and even because we deserve it, right? And my pastoral concern for us today is that we would consider that there's more to life than than being focused on living as merely a consumer of Christianity. There's more to life than just being fulfilled by things. And in chapter 20, verse 24, Paul is saying, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Like, okay, Paul, come on, man. Thanks for making us all look bad, right? He's like that fitness friend that I know we all have, right? Like there's always that person who's always zero to 100 no matter what, right? Like they're always finding more ways to be extremely fit, finding ways to make you look like you're a slouch, you know? Like, oh, you haven't pushed a giant rock up a hill? You haven't lived, you know? I know for me, like I spend a great deal of my life trying to find fulfillment in things like my education, work, even my family, I've spent countless hours seeking to find and build my own worth. And as I study this passage, I realized that earlier on in my faith, I had no context for what it meant when Paul says that his life is worthless. But what I do know is that there's a cost to following Jesus Christ. I'm not here to scare you away from it, but there's a cost. I've actually had family members disagree with my calling to the Lord Jesus Christ and tell me that vocally, and doubt the call of, on our lives, Kirsten, my wife and I's call, even to move to Victoria. And you know what? That was so heartbreaking. That was so hard. But what I see in this passage is that life isn't all about being comfortable or having the perfect plan. Paul's not saying that his life was without meaning. Actually, he's not even saying that he was unfulfilled. If you study Paul more in depth, you would find that he was very perfectly content in every situation. He was secure in his faith. And here Paul is saying that his mission, his calling, and his task from God were greater than even his own life. Wow. Isn't that an example to you and to me? Hear me today, okay? This might be important for you. You do not have to be a pastor or a missionary to be called by God. It's not just me and the team you see up here. Each one of us as Christians are called by God. We have the same baseline calling that the Apostle Paul had 
to fulfill the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Can I get an amen? Anyone here? Are you live with me today? That's our mission. That's our call. Come on. Notice that the task of the Christian life is actually others-focused. It isn't just about me. Sunday isn't just about me. It's not just about what I can get from this moment. It's not. Yes, your faith can be an encouragement to you, but your faith is actually meant to be a beacon of hope to the lost and dying world around us. Your faith actually testifies to the good news of God's grace. Because if he can save you, if he can forgive you, if, if he can even speak to you, imagine that he can do the same thing for everyone else that you come into contact with too. So what if we stop caring so much about what we have and where we're headed in our lives and start to say, Spirit of God, where do you want me to go? Where are you leading me? What do you want me to do? When was the last time you were compelled by the Spirit? Being compelled by the Spirit, you know, sounds a bit intimidating, but I can tell you that being led by the Spirit is one of the keys to being a true follower of Jesus Christ. It means that we surrender control of our lives to the one, that's Jesus, who knows best. Paul knew that hardships and prison were coming. He knew that there was uncertainty ahead, but he had the courage to keep pressing forward because he knew who he was being led by. He was surrendered his whole life to God. And you know what? In our lives, someone or something is leading you. Your task is to ask yourself, is it the spirit of God? Or is it something or someone else? If it's not God, might it be your ambition that's leading you? Are you being led by fear? Maybe you're even being led by a sense of apathy. Because I can tell you something. You're being led by someone or something. Ultimately, as Christians, we need to be spirit-led. Okay, let's head back into chapter 21 now. That was a bit of an aside, okay? As we recap, Paul is in Tyre. The disciples are there telling him not to go to Jerusalem. Remember, as Paul said, in every city he goes to, the Spirit warns him that he's headed towards hardship. He leaves Tyre to a place called Ptolemais. It's a big one. Come on. He stays there for a day. Then he heads down to Caesarea and stays at the house of Philip and the evangelist, one of the seven. The seven refers to the seven deacons chosen by the disciples in Acts chapter 6, these people were called to assist the disciples as they continued the work of ministry. These are helpers. In verse 9, it says that Philip had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And then in verse 10 and 11, I'm going to read it out. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt tied his own, his own hands with his feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. Okay, first the disciples in Tyre, and now a prophet arrives like Elijah, kind of does something crazy Old Testament style, and 
arrives in Caesarea where he is. Does, he probably didn't even know that Paul was there. You know, the Spirit told him to go up and do this. And prophesies that he'll be bound and put in captivity. I don't know about you, but I'm going on the next ship away from Jerusalem. Right? Not Paul. Verse 12. When he heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. See, now all of Paul's companions are starting to get really worried. Like Luke, the doctor, the one who actually wrote the book of Acts, the guy who's with him right now. You know, it's easy just to assume that like Paul would be crazy or super stubborn. What on the outside looked like warnings to not go to Jerusalem only served to convince Paul more and more that he was on the right track because he was led by the Spirit. These warnings actually confirmed where he was supposed to go. They confirmed what the Spirit had already told him. And look how Paul responds in verse 13. Then Paul answered, this is after they've been pleading with him, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Paul was so certain, so attentive to the Spirit's leading that not even his best buds could dissuade him. He was ready to give his life for Christ to be in prison or even die for him. See, some of you here will choose to follow Christ and the people around you are going to call you crazy. People will warn you against following Christ because it's not always a comfortable life. Following Christ even isn't always a linear path, and that can be scary for people who don't know what you've been called to. You have to learn or lean into what God has already spoken to you because well-meaning, kind, intelligent, and even loving people will try to dissuade you from following the call that God has on your life. It's up to you to be in step with the Spirit so that you're not dissuaded that you know what he's actually spoken to you. And don't hear what I'm not saying today, okay? Don't fill in the blank here. I am not saying that there's no place for godly counsel in your life. There, there is. We need mentors and pastors and even friends in our lives. But what we need more is to follow the Spirit's leading and what he's saying to us. We need to get to a place where we can better hear and understand what the Spirit is saying and how he's leading us. See, Paul cultivated a life of being led by the Spirit. He lived a life of continual surrender to God. And we can do the same thing because you know what? We actually follow the same God. Okay, back to verse 14. Fall, pino, fall whoa, whoa, sorry. Finally, Paul's companions actually give up. They say this, the Lord's will be done. They throw up their hands. I think people say things like this when they're convinced that you're wrong. They think that you're headed to your demise, right? And against all odds, they hope that the Lord's will will prevail. These kinds of people act as if the Lord's will is some kind of Hail Mary pass or a safety net. But we have to understand that this is the path that Paul had to be on. And what we learn from Paul is that spirit-led people let the Lord's will be done. Spirit-led people let the Lord's will be done. I think that we should try to get a place in our lives where the Lord's will in a situation is the minimum, not the fallback plan. Can I say that again? The Lord's will in your life should be the minimum, not the fallback plan. 
You're not saying, hey, if I can make it, then maybe the Lord's will will catch me if I don't make it. No. Lord, what is your will? That's where I'm going. That's what Paul did, right? We seek out the Lord's will first and then we act. And that really is the first lesson that we learn from Paul's life today is that followers of Christ are spirit-led. They're compelled. And being led by the spirit means that we have to surrender our plans and purposes and, and even our goals sometimes, our aspirations back to God and allow God to have the final say. Spirit, compel me. That might be a prayer for you today. The second lesson that we learn from Paul's life is that followers of Christ have a story to tell. Followers of Christ, we all have a story to tell. So Paul finally arrives in Jerusalem. He receives a warm welcome at the home of a believer named Nason. Silent M, threw me off too. His name is Nason, Acts 21, 17. And just when it starts to look like Paul was in the clear once he arrives in Jerusalem, some of his opponents show up and spot him in the temple. He's going about his business and they begin to stir up a crowd against him, throwing a lot of false accusations around. They're actually saying that Paul had brought some Greeks to the temple, which wasn't allowed at the time because they were Gentiles or non-Jews. And I think our times today kind of lack a bit of a context to the severity of these accusations levied against Paul. The crowd was actually filled with religious and cultural Jews, and Gentiles were not allowed into certain areas of the temple. And if Gentiles even went into certain areas of the temple, it would be punishable by death. So what they're really doing here is they're saying that Paul has gone against the cultural and religious standards of the day. The whole city is riled up against him, and they actually start, if you read it, they start to beat him to death. Could you imagine the Roman troops in the city realized the commotion, what was happening, and they run to see what's happening. Acts 21, we pick it up in verse 31. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in uproar. 32, he at, he at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commanders and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. 33, the commander came up and, and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Imagine just showing up. You're, you're minding your business. People rile up people against you. You're getting beaten to death, and then you're the one who gets arrested. That's tough. Then he asked who he was and what he'd done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get the truth about what was because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks, the place of safety where all the soldiers were. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. They're literally trying to save his life here. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Notice here that it was actually the Roman soldiers who effectively saved Paul's life. This is the same group of people who crucified the Lord Jesus Christ just a few years before. And they take Paul into the barracks just to keep him safe, to keep the crowd at bay. And I think this is a really good point to, or a good point in my message to mention that this situation, Paul's arrival in Jerusalem, his arrest and his coming trials look a lot like Jesus's arrest and trials. And Paul would have been well acquainted with Jesus' story. So I can't help but wonder if Paul could see how the Spirit was leading him. He must have even wondered, is my fate going to be the same as Jesus's? 
The Spirit of God told Paul that he had hardships in prison coming. Think about it. Jesus and Paul, both innocent of accusations and charges against them. Both had crowds trying to murder them. Both arrested by the Romans and put to trial with Jewish religious leaders trying to get the government to put them to the death. But both of them were also led by the Spirit. Both of them trusted God completely with the outcome. Thankfully for Paul, instead of being killed in this instance, Paul is saved by these Roman guards. He then asked the commander, I can't believe this, he asked if he can address the crowd right after. Imagine this, the crowd is trying to kill him, and then you're trying to reason with them. Like, let me tell you my story, guys. Why are you trying to kill me? But he gets permission. He begins to share about how he began his career by persecuting and killing Christians. You could remember that in Acts chapter 9. He, he tells them how he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus as he was struck with blindness. He tells them that once he got to Damascus, a Christ follower named Ananias sought him out to bring him a message from God and to bring healing to his eyes. It was in this moment, Paul recounts, that he received his call to share the good news. But since Paul had been persecuting Christians in the area, the Lord actually sent him far away to minister to the Gentiles. And now he finds himself back in Jerusalem, and what starts with a warm welcome turns into him being in captivity for years and years. And over the next two chapters, we're not going to read them all, 22 to 24, Paul actually undergoes two separate trials. One trial where the Romans try to, to kill him at the hands of the Sanhedrin. Those are the Jewish religious officials. But they didn't find him guilty of anything worth punishment. The Romans then try to bring him to the Roman governor Felix back in Caesarea. He's tried again by the religious leaders with Felix presiding. And again, not guilty of anything. Not a punishable offense anyways. Instead, you know what they do? They put him under house arrest. And here's what happens next. Acts 24, 24 to 27. Several days after Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked to him. Verse 27, this is wild, you guys. When two years had passed, he's been under house arrest for two years. Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. New ruler comes, he's just left to rot in there. All I can think about when I read Paul's story is that there's a cost to following Jesus. Paul was willing to go to Jerusalem and submit himself to whatever plan the Lord had for him. And he wasn't worried about the outcome because he was compelled. He went with, to Jerusalem with a story to tell. He had the good news of God's grace to share. He accepted his fate. He endured beatings, hardship, and imprisonment. Because followers of Christ have a story to tell. Did you know that today, if you're a follower of Christ, you have a story to tell? You carry the good news of God's grace. You and I, we may have come to a relationship with Jesus in a different way, 
but his activity in our lives is the same. Whether you grew up in a Christian home and started a relationship with Jesus as a kid, or if you found Jesus after a long history of partying and drugs, you know what? Your testimony is powerful. Your story is powerful because of what Jesus has done in your life. It's powerful because nobody on earth can transform your life like Jesus can. It's powerful because it speaks to hope in the darkest situations. And we can't be ashamed to share what Christ has done in our lives. It's too good to keep to ourselves. You know what? It's why baptism Sundays here at Coastline Church are my favorite Sundays. Maybe you feel the same way. It's a Sunday where we celebrate the stories and next steps of believers because followers of Christ have a story to tell. It doesn't matter if your story is simple or complex. The most important thing is that Jesus has transformed your life, that he has changed you from the inside out. And we see this transformation in Paul's life. He was led by the Spirit to Jerusalem into hardships and trials in order that he might share his story and make an impact on the people there. And as a result of his trip to Jerusalem, he spent many years in prison under house arrest. You know, on the outside, you can look at his life and say, you know what, that guy failed. He didn't make it. He shouldn't have been allowed to get himself captured. He should have run away. But you know what? God had big plans for him. Even in the worst of times, and while Paul was imprisoned in Rome, he wrote this in Philippians chapter 2, 12 to 14. And I want to read it to you today as I close. I want you to know my dear brothers and sisters, he's writing to the Philippian church here, while in prison, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Wow. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am cha in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Come on, Paul. Everything has happened to me here. Everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. If only we could say that about our own lives. I don't know about you, but I want to strive to live the same way as Paul lived. That everything that would happen to me would help to spread good news. We learn today that followers of Christ are spirit-led. We can strive for the will of God to be realized in our own lives, and we can work to surrender our hopes and our aspirations to him. And we've also learned today that followers of Christ have a story to tell. You know what? Jesus Christ has saved us. He has given us grace and forgiveness. He's forgiven our sins, even though we trespassed against him. He's given us a testimony to lead people towards him. And in this way, we are compelled to tell the story of Jesus Christ in our lives. I hope you're compelled today. I hope that the spirit of God is rising something up in your heart, speaking to you. I don't know your situation, but he does. He knows exactly what you're going through. He can see the hardships and the trials. He can see what you think is a failure. But you know what? Let him lead you. 
Let him guide you through it. You know what? The Spirit never promised Paul an easy way. But the Spirit was with him the entire way. And the same is true in our lives. No matter what you're going through, what you find yourself in today, the Spirit of God is with you, guiding you, leading you. And do you know what? The things he's bringing you through in your life are a testimony to his goodness. They're a testimony to his good grace in your life. And he can use your story to reach other people. Man, I came here against the advice of my family with less than $1,000 in our bank account on a one-year contract here at Coastline. And it was such a hard road. We had no idea what the Lord was bringing us to. Kirsten didn't have a job. It was just me. We simply just had to trust that this is where we felt he was calling us, the Spirit. Because every voice around us told us that this was the wrong choice, that this was the wrong thing to do. But ultimately, I thank God that we didn't listen to those voices because the Spirit of God is more important than the voices of the people around you. Well-meaning, loving, but just not correct. I want to pray for you today. If you close your eyes all around this room, maybe today you find yourself in hardship. Would you just put your hands out in a posture of receiving? No one's looking around. Maybe there's something going on in your life. Maybe you need provision or healing. Maybe you need to start a relationship with Christ. Whatever that is, would you just open your hands and be available to what God is doing within you? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the boldness of these people who would put out their hands today. Spirit of God, we know you're speaking right now. Would you have your way in our lives? Would you move in us and through us? Would you inspire us today? God, would you give us the courage to make it to tomorrow? We need you, Jesus. God, I pray for my friends who need healing. I pray right now, heal them in Jesus' name. Touch their bodies, wherever they're at, God. Lord, I pray that you would heal relationships today in this place. God, I pray that you would bring provision in this place today. People who didn't have enough, Lord, this week, would they be supernaturally provided for? Would they have enough? We need you, Jesus. Would you continue to be at work, Spirit? Just as you were at work in Paul's life, we look to you today. We surrender our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations, our desires to you. Even though that's a scary place to be, have your way, Lord Jesus. Would you let your will be done in our lives on earth as it is in heaven? But God, we know that this leads us to trust you, so we choose to trust you today. The world around us looks scary, but we trust you. We choose you today, Jesus. We look to you, and we thank you, Lord Jesus that you first gave your life for us so that we could be free from the power of sin and death and shame. And God, you have a purpose and a plan for each one of us in our lives. We stand on that promise today and we look to you, Lord Jesus. Have your way in our lives. We need you. Why don't you rise all around this place? We're gonna sing.
Jesus, we look to you. We look to you, Jesus. Have your way. In your holy name we pray. Amen.